you'll push your acknowledgement and then we'll get started. Hey everyone and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host Chef AJ and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well today is the second Friday of the month which means it's time for Food Addiction Friday which is hosted by Dr. Joan Iflin and today she is interviewing Dr. Alan Goldhammer. Please welcome them both to the show. Two of my favorite people finally meeting. Thanks, Chef AJ. I appreciate you so much. And I really appreciate this invitation to meet Dr. Goldhammer and interview him. We are two peas in the same pod, I feel like. We speak the same language. And so my first question is going to be, how did you get here, Dr. Goldhammer? Because there are many, many professionals out there frustrated, banging their head up against the wall non-compliant patients. How did you figure that out that this is an addiction? Well, I was very fortunate because I grew up with uh, probably the smartest person I've ever met, which is Dr. Doug Weil. And Dr. Lyle and I, you know, known each other since we're in fourth grade. And so, oh. you know, we uh, have been uh, uh, interested in, uh, these topics actually since like junior high school as we looked around and noticed the challenges that people were having we both played basketball and so in our attempts to try to get better at basketball we had to take a look at health issues and healing issues and came across a, some work by a guy named Herbert Shelton who really pioneered uh, what's called natural hygiene or the concept that health results from healthful living he talked about diet and fasting he had this idea that health was the result of healthful living and that healthful Amazing living is concept, diet. huh? Yeah, diet, yes. sleep, and exercise. And his model of diet was that people should eat a whole plant food diet that was free of the chemicals like the salt, the oil, the sugar, the animal foods, and that that was more consistent with nature and that that would allow people to avoid the dietary excess. And if they avoided the dietary excess, they wouldn't get the fat, which has the visceral fat, which produces the inflammation that leads to the chronic degenerative diseases. And so now we have people that are dying and sick and suffering from a variety of diseases, but all have a common uh, origin. And that common origin is dietary excess. And so the question came up, why would people overeat? Animals, you don't see obesity in nature no. uh, under normal circumstances. The only time you see obesity in nature in animals is if they get access to highly processed foods. Yes, and if they're in our homes and there are pets. <laughs> if they right. eat our highly processed foods, they get the same obesity and the same diseases of dietary excess we do. Right. And so it's and it's interesting. You can you can test it out with any animals, rodents, whatever. If you give them access to hyper-concentrated foods, they get overweight. When they get overweight, they get the same heart disease, cancer, diabetes, and autoimmune diseases we do. Right. So it all started to make sense to me that oh, people overeat, they get fat, they get sick. And so we have to avoid that. Well, that turns out not to be very easy to do because people are addicts. They're addicted to the artificial stimulation of dopamine in the brain. We call it the pleasure trap. In fact, we wrote a whole book about it. Yeah, and, here it is. Here yeah, it is. The diet, and the dietary pleasure trap specifically involves the chemicals that are put into our feed that fool our brains into allowing us to overeat. And those chemicals are salt, oil, and sugar. You know, I'm just so glad to hear you say that. Uh, I think people, I don't think this, I see it in our, our own groups, that self-blame, self-stigmatization, 
self-loathing, so even self-hatred comes out of the addiction business models. So, you know, I have a business background and I look at the behavior of the processed food industry after tobacco came in in the mid 1980s and bought Kraft Nabisco General Foods and now uh, the Danon products, Danone products. And they are, it, it's dopamine and serotonin and cannabinoids and uh, opioids, different of these different foods uh, activate different pathways. And so we are now addicted, but we didn't ask for it. We didn't do it to ourselves. It was done to us. And so how do you talk to your patients about that? Well, you know, I like to help people understand if you are, if you take a variety of people and you give them the same diet, they don't all have the same result. So why do some people on the same highly processed food diet become obese, some become overweight, and some basically maintain normal weight despite being on that diet? The difference isn't discipline. It's not, uh, you know, uh, anything other than the fact that people have differences like how sensitive their satiety mechanisms are, mm -hmm. how, how efficient their digestive system is. You know, when you really think about it, people that get fat easily are people that have usually highly efficient systems. So you can have one person in exactly the same diet have a different outcome. Well, basically, if you get gain weight easily, it's because you have winner genes. You have genes that in a natural setting would highly be highly efficient and absorb the food well, store the fat, which is critical for survival in an environment of deprivation, which is what humans evolved in. And so now we have in our society, uh, certain people that really gain weight much more easily than other people. Those We're people talking are about the, the thrifty gene here, right? Yeah, well, they're called women because women are basically energy conserving fat storage devices. Biologically speaking, they are full of estrogen, which is a fat storage hormone, which is designed to store fat to survive a period of vulnerability called pregnancy. And it's only women that can have babies. Men are incapable of having babies. Men are full of testosterone, which is a fat burning hormone, which is why if you inject women with testosterone, they would lose their fat, but they would get hairy and get cancer and die. So it wouldn't be a yeah. good strategy. If you inject men with enough estrogen, they'll, they'll get breasts and hips. These differences are biological, not psychological. So a lot of times right. people attribute maybe gaining weight to being some kind of psychological deficit or mommy didn't love them enough or daddy loved them too much or they had... Oh That's my not God, necessarily the case. My favorite topic, which is... This whole idea, and I know where it comes from. It comes from research showing that people, that there is a correlation between the amount of fat that accumulates under our skin and our and childhood trauma. So people have just made that in, totally incorrect leap. The childhood trauma causes weight gain and they'll go after the childhood trauma while the client is still eating processed foods. And the problem there is the processed foods create a tremendous amount of imbalance in the brain, dysfunction in the brain, not that we asked for it, but there it is, it's chemically induced. So you have this painful brain that's craving where stress is hyperactivated and the frontal lobe is, is being deprived of blood flow. And then that practitioner says, oh, let's work on childhood issues which causes a tremendous amount of stress. You're bringing up painful memories on top of the chemical imbalances. And then when you're done looking at all the childhood issues, chemical imbalances are still there and the person is still 
another that, way to look at you know, it. high and crash. Yeah. Another way to look at it is if you take people with terrible uh, emotional histories and, and traumatic childhood, just awful, which many people have, but you put them in an environment where there's absolutely no choice but whole natural foods, they lose weight in a predictable fashion, regardless yes, of how screwed exactly. up they are. That's so the difference isn't that if you're screwed up, you're damaged goods and you can't lose it. The problem is how you decide to make decisions can profoundly be affected by your psychology and all that. No denying yes. that. But yes. the weight is related to your decision making. So if you make the yes. right decisions, you get well, regardless of whether you've got trauma or not. And if you get well, yeah. your ability to deal with whatever trauma and all the stress that people have to deal with is probably better. If you keep poisoning them with hyper-concentrated foods, the chance of them being able to make good decisions and be successful is much less. So right. I think that where we have to start is with the diet and the lifestyle. And then you do whatever therapy and stuff you have to do to get your life working right. But you can't deny if you're an addict, First, you got to stop the addiction. You don't tell alcohol. Get off the substances. Well, you're drunk because your life sucked and keep drinking, just have beer and wine. No, you tell them you got to quit drinking. Every practitioner will do that. They will not start therapy with people who are still using alcohol and drugs, but they start therapy with people using processed foods all the time. In fact, they will say you can't. Some practitioners say you can't. They will not let you get off the processed foods. They'll try to teach you to moderate. And that is just agony. It's just agony. Well, it's like trying to treat an alcoholic by telling them they should have beer and wine. Yeah, just switch off the hard stuff and onto no. Yeah. I mean, put your just, alcohol in a, in a cup and then drink it with a spoon and put your spoon down between each yes, thing and then you won't be a drunk yes. anymore. Oh, mindfulness. Thank you. Thank you. Let's bring up mindfulness. So yes, that's a perfect analogy. Just, just spoon your alcohol out of that little cup. Put the spoon down between sips and then really think fine. about what you're doing. Just, yeah. That is great, Dr. Goldhammer. Thank you for that. That's a great image. Yeah, this is a vicious, deeply seated addiction. It starts in childhood. We know that the food manufacturers deliberately uh, took the Marlboro Country Store addiction business model and applied it to the Kool-Aid wacky warehouse. Yeah. And, in, and the in idea fairness you, to the manufacturers, their, their yeah. goal and their model is to make money. And so that yeah. means they want to give you what you want, not what you need. It's not their business isn't about, oh, let's figure out what people need. It's about let's figure out what people want. And what you want is short term pleasure seeking self-indulgent behavior. Yes. And so, and then that's profitable for the medical community. Nobody wants this to go. It's not profitable for anybody to have a very healthy, clean eating, happy person. They don't spend money on processed foods. They don't spend money on medical services. That's, that's not the, the I don't know that they're purposely way. thinking about it from that angle. I think what's more realistic is they're saying, Let's give people what they want. What do they want? They want to alleviate their symptoms without actually having to eliminate the cause of the problem. So you, they want to they want to uh, lose weight, but they don't want to change their diet. They want to have their pain go away, but they don't want to have to change their diet and lifestyle. They don't want to exercise. Well, sleep. now with so they're giving uh, you what you want. So with now with Ozimbic and the pressure to give Ozimbic to everybody, they're t they're totally trying to uh, circuit to go around the whole issue of the addiction, of the depression, and just take this medication. So media cooperates in teaching us that all you have to do is take a pill. 
we know that we we're not going to be happy just taking a pill but media is pushing it because well, the, again, the media is in the business of selling it. ads and so people the, the eyes go to where you talk about what people want a drug to lose weight without changing your diet sounds great you can continue mm -hmm. to be an addict without having to make a change mm -hmm. so i think everybody's basically under the same uh, driving force. They're trying to give you what you want, but what you want is not necessarily what you need to get healthy and happy. But if you back that up one step and you look at the addiction business model and things like the Kool-Aid Wacky Warehouse, where they're addicting children to sugar, they're so, you know, there's just so, oh, well, we're giving people what they want. But what they miss is that we created that want through the addiction business model. We created those hyperactive pleasure pathways. And now we're kicking back and say, oh, we didn't do anything. Oh, it's just what they want. Give them what they want. It's diabolical. Yes. Well, I think, again, I, I don't think they're purposely thinking, oh, we're going to try to go out here and make people sick. They're just trying to make money giving people what they want. And what they want is short-term pleasure-seeking self-indulgent behavior. It's no different than the drug addicts on the corner that give some samples out to kids and get them going on the thing. And then before long, they've got a regular client. And I think, for example, when it comes to depression and anxiety, um, there's an interesting book called um, an Emperor of, uh, Anatomy of an Epidemic, excuse me, Anatomy of an Epidemic, which explains that, you know, how these antidepressant, anti-anxiety drugs work to deactivate the D2 receptors in the brain. And so that once you get on it, you have to be on it forever. They give a false model about serotonin and dopamine uh, deficiency. But the bottom line is once people start using it, they need to keep using it. It's when they stop, the symptoms are acute depression and anxiety. Brilliant right. business model if your goal is to get, get somebody hooked on a, on a substance. The same thing, slightly different pathway happens with food. You eat, you know, when they say, bet you can't just eat one, they're not kidding. The they're happy talking. meal, the happy meal. Think about what we're saying here. This, we're trying to equate short-term um, stimulation of dopamine as being happiness, which is really more of a serotonin, a different neurochemical pathway altogether. But we conflate those two things, and it's a great model. So you want to be happy, you have to go and have their it's, highly it's processed food. And they're so brazen about it. That thing about, I bet you can't just eat one, or the Happy Meal, or the Dasani water commercial, where they say, oh, I could quit if I wanted to. They're, they're normalizing addiction. They're normalizing what is a painful mental condition. They're normalizing cravings. I hope everybody knows that cravings are not normal. Cravings are a sign that uh, the, the, some business entity has given you an addiction. Cravings are a sign well, of addictions. You know, some of it's physiological. For example, when people eat high, uh, sugars or refined carbohydrates, there's an abnormal response to insulin in the body. Insulin goes up. It drives the sugar down. Your brain thinks you're starving. Now you get cravings and 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 and, and vigorous uh, physiological responses. When you eat a whole plant food diet, your blood sugar levels tend to be stable. Insulin levels are stable. You don't have the cravings. The binge, you don't wake up feeling like you're going to die. Right. So people right. just understand those cravings are biological responses to an abnormal situation. Yes. Uh, in the diet, in the case of refined carbohydrates. A deficit. And so that feeds on itself, though, because then what you need and want are, is to alleviate that pain. And the way you do that is to continue to take the substance. It's not dissimilar to the pattern you see with alcohol and cocaine, heroin, et cetera. It is. It's, it's drug addiction. 
we see the same uh, brain anomalies, the, you know, the same brain adaptations to processed foods mm -hmm. that we see to drugs and alcohol. So what do you do, Dr. Goldhammer? What, well, what do you we tell did your is we wrote a book called do? The Pleasure Trap to try to yes, tell people the is. truth and what they have to do to understand that if you want to solve alcoholism, you have to quit drinking. If you want to solve nicotine addiction, you have to quit smoking. And if you want to solve obesity and the downstream consequences of it, all the, the heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune disease, and cancer, you have to stop eating the chemicals that are fooling your brain. And those chemicals are salt, oil, and sugar. That's why we advocate a vegan or a plant-based whole uh, food diet that's free of salt, oil, and sugar. So a whole plant food SOS-free diet. And if you we do that, what happens is you lose weight, you, over, you lose the cravings, you regain your health, and uh, you, know, you reestablish some level of normalcy. Uh, if you don't do that, you end up like the majority of people that are overweight and sick and dying and finding themselves unable to talk or move, lying in nursing home beds, so waiting for sad. people to change their diaper. Well, and, it's, and they didn't ask for it. I'm going to ask you about another substance that, uh, for which there are some pretty startling studies, and that's dairy. Dairy contains four different kinds of casomorphine. It turns on a weight gain gene. It turns on the prostate cancer gene and the breast cancer gene and the acne gene. I know that on a plant-based food plan, it's eliminated, but I, sometimes I think people think that dairy is okay, but we know it's well, I, not. I have to right? say, I think dairy is one of the most important foods for causing people to be fat, sick, and miserable. There's right, nothing right. more effective that I see as, as individually than dairy products in terms of aggravating people condition. I love when patients come in that are on dairy because just stopping the dairy is yeah. one of the most powerful short-term effects that you can have in terms of joint pain, sinusitis, gastrointestinal disturbances, problems with obesity and weight gain. Um, as you mentioned, childhood and acne. And depression and anxiety. Oh, And I depression as, and anxiety. I, I wasn't as uh, in touch with that. That's interesting. And oh, that yeah. makes sense too. Yeah. So the, why, why would there be casomorphine? Why would there be morphine in cow milk? Well, I'm the talking reason right is out of the cow, organic design... raw milk. It's to put the baby calf to sleep. So the yes. baby calf will absorb nutrients. And why would it turn on a weight gain gene? It's because you want that 100 pound baby calf to be 600 pounds in, in a year. It's so obvious when you think about it, but like the Tobacco Institute, the Dairy Council, they have their own agenda and their own ability to, you know, quote unquote, educate people. But it's so well, I think the dairy has been brilliant because they've gone into the schools and actually created the food programs and the wall charts and they pretend like it's education. And, you know, they've been we're very helpful politically. Uh, they have mm -hmm. brilliant advertising people with the milk mm -hmm. commercials. And the, so they've done a really effective job of taking their highly toxic uh, product and, you know, uh, not only encouraging its use, but mandating its use. You know, mandating. if you don't provide cow milk, you can lose your federal funding and your school yep. lunch programs. They fight yep. against alternatives, uh, labeling laws, all kinds of, they've just been a really effective organization for pushing their product or as propaganda. if it was some type of health food. It's propaganda, it's distortion, it's not true, it's ignoring the consequences. I read about a Latino school in New York. Every child in the school has lactose intolerance. So every morning they get their big load of dairy and every afternoon it goes out into the dumpster 
that is political power. And these, I just heard a, uh, a statistic yesterday, and I don't have any way to confirm this, that for every legislator in Congress, there are three pharmaceutical lobbyists. And this is why everything is about pharmaceuticals. Everything's about pharmaceuticals. I would expect it would be even higher. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. They have so much power. Let me ask you a question. I just read this in a. a no, in fairness, that... some of those pharmaceutical representatives mo represent multiple companies, so you know actually, their influence might be uh, being underestimated. Multiple. Well, and then you see them in doctor's office. You see these pharmaceutical reps bringing in the processed foods. It's so ironic. You see drugstores in the front of the stores. They're selling the causes of the disease for which they're selling pharmaceuticals in the back of the store. It's so blatant and it's so brazen. It's so, let me ask you about, uh, I, um, I just read this in a book called uh, Healthy No Matter What the other day. It said that, that only about 10% of the answers to health problems are found in pharmaceuticals and surgery. And the rest are everything else. What's on your list? Just, we've talked about diet. What else is on your list? Well, let's well, first of all, do you believe what do you, what do you think about that ratio? 10% well, pharmaceuticals all, and surgery, 90% everything else. Let's let's think about what the things that are killing people and causing those problems. Overweight and obesity. Um, there's uh, absolutely no evidence that any of the solutions that are offered from surgical to pharmaceutical are uh, in, reduce all-cause mortality, improve overall function. So obesity and its consequence, certainly not. High blood pressure, the leading contributing cause of death and disability. Medications have uh, uh, almost no effect on uh, cardiovascular impact. They have a slight reduction in stroke, but overall um, diet and lifestyle will resolve this issue. We did a study with 174 consecutive patients with hypertension, 174 people lowered pressure enough to reduce the need for medication with the largest effects that have ever been shown in treating hypertension in mm -hmm. humans doing nothing except mm -hmm. fasting and diet, uh, dietary change. Mm -hmm. um, in the case of diabetes, um, when you go to a di uh, doctor for diabetes treatment, they will tell you right from the beginning, just like they do with high blood pressure, take these medications, you'll never get well. You'll be on drugs the rest of your life, have a limited effect on all-cause mortality as a consequence. Um, diabetes, uh, type 2 diabetes, the vast majority are able to achieve normal blood sugar without medication if they're willing to do dangerous and radical things like eat well and exercise and go to bed on time and consider fasting. I gave a lecture actually to a group of physicians in uh, Texas um, on diabetes and, you know, talked about our experience, people getting well. And, you know, here they were serving them pulled pork sandwiches and chocolate cake and, you know, the whole bit. Most of these people were grossly overweight. One particularly overweight physician came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, you're saying these diabetics are getting well. And I've been in practice for 25 years and I've never seen years. one get well. He said, he's never seen one get well. He said, maybe I should do okay. some of this diet stuff myself. Yeah. Uh, you got Cancer, one. like lymphoma. We, we published some preliminary data on the treatment of lymphoma, which is a type of lymph cancer uh, in the British Medical Journal showing that the use of uh, medically supervised water-only fasting is an effective way of reversing this condition. We've got a nine-year follow-up on the first case that we published uh, who continues to be cancer-free following this whole plant food diet. Um, there's uh, the, the, somewhere around 80 to 90% of the conditions that people have are a consequence of diet and lifestyle choices. 
drugs can't solve those problems. They don't solve those problems. In fact, in many cases, drugs cause more problems than they solve. Yes, you got the, the side effects then. Uh, an average That's okay because there's other drugs effects. to treat the side effects from the original drug. So you just keep piling up the pills uh, until- um, What a you know, great business model, huh? It's yeah. wonderful. And yeah. it's keep, they keep making more and more money. It's I think they should be very, uh, very excited. So we have, uh, and I, I have to say that I want to- really give a shout out for the health professionals who are caught. You talk about the pleasure trap. There's also like the, a professional trap. I talked to a newly minted uh, psychiatrist the other day. They had just picked up their diploma from their residency and they had been abused in their program. They had been psychologically abused in their program, which would not let this uh, newly minted psychiatrist talk about diet or exercise or any of the other things that we know improve mental health. So as a physician yourself, Dr. Goldhammer, how did you escape the, what I would call the professional trap? Well, you know, I don't know for me that that was ever a huge issue. I, you know, I went into alternative medicine. So I went to chiropractic college in Oregon. I went to osteopathic college in Australia. My entire practice for my entire life has been a practice based on diet and lifestyle, the use of fasting. So I've never really had, uh, I don't think, too many difficulties uh, in the path that I've uh, chosen. The work that we do with fasting was considered criminal quackery. So early on, we had a, a lot of pressures from well-intentioned but misguided uh, physicians and government officials thinking that what we were doing was equivalent to, you know, Jim Jones work in California. Mm. Um, now we've gone from being criminal quacks to cutting edge researchers because fasting has gained some notoriety and acceptance. And, and our True North Health Foundation has been helping lead the way in terms of publishing human studies with long-term follow-up that look at the, the what you can do to help people actually get well and stay well. And I think now fasting has gained a little bit uh, more acceptance. It's not considered quite as well, crazy. What as would you past. say? To... Certainly, dietary intervention has been has been accepted more. Yeah. Yes. Although I just heard this story the other night. Dietary for weight loss is, um, you know, that's that's easier to understand. But I heard a story the other night about somebody with a child who was having a hundred grand mal seizures, so they had severe epilepsy. And the medications were not working and this child was in agony. And the, fortunately, the person found uh, a diet, an epilepsy diet, and mm -hmm. the child stopped having the seizures. And the, the parent went back to the doctor and said, why didn't you tell me about this? He said, well, nobody can do that. Okay, but at least tell me, tell me that it's an option. So diet, different diets are an option for many different conditions and you know, we know let diet be your medicine and or let food be your medicine and medicine be your food. What would you say to somebody who was graduating from high school and wanted a medical career? What would you say to them? Well, I think that they might want to go spend some time in different types of practices so they would see what their life is going to be like. If they're mm -hmm. having to see 26 patient contacts a day and 12 internet contacts working for HMO, uh, and, you know, basically becoming an agent for drug and referral companies, uh, diagnostic companies, versus maybe practices that may be more of a functional medicine practice where people are actually able to help give people advice that's actually useful. We have an intern and residency program at the True North Health Center where go. doctors are able to come as part of their training or, or 
after their training in order to gain experience in using diet and fasting. And the most common comment of these physicians is, wow, I've never seen anybody get well before. Yes, yes, they because are. Because if you're under conventional maintain, care maintain for- people sick. Yeah, if you're getting conventional care for hypertension or diabetes or any of these conditions, you're told you'll be on drugs the rest of your life. You'll never mm -hmm. get well. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's not even part of the paradigm getting well. It's just which combination of pills, potions, powders, or surgeries are going to alleviate the symptoms until eventually you die a slow and painful death. Uh, 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 yes. So we have a, a good um, model described by Rob Lustig in the book Metabolical, where he goes back to the origins of the Western medical practice. And uh, it was from John D. Rockefeller who wanted to create a pharmaceutical business and needed a marketing arm. He created this curriculum based on pharmaceuticals and then trained all these doctors and went around to the legislatures and made everything else quackery. And I think that's what we're seeing the consequences of today. It works great. Now you have some of the most lucrative businesses on the planet are selling people drugs that are of questionable benefit. Yes. All right. That's very well said. Uh, where do you think this country is going? 93% of people have high triglycerides, cholesterol, blood pressure, blood glucose, or waist to hip ratio. 93% of Americans, including children. So that means that people my age, 71, um, probably the, the, the percentage is much higher. How are we going to get this to stop? Well, what, what we're not, what, what we're seeing is already the evidence is life expectancy for the first time ever is going down each year. Um, you're, the, the percentage of people, you know, over 60% of people by the time they're 60 or have cardiovascular manifestations like hypertension. Um, you have an epidemic of diabetes in children. Uh, okay. Obesity is, is growing by the day, especially in the United States where we are number one in, in the world as a percentile of, you know, being able to achieve uh, excess fat reserves and all the consequences that go along with that and, and growing at a rapid rate. So there's going to be, you know, significant consequences to pay as our children reach adulthood and suffer the consequences of this. And I'm not sure you're going to be able to reverse that, uh, that trend. And over time, as a small percentage of people become more aware of it, uh, you get the hundredth monkey effect and those people may have an influence. You know, we're doing the best we can in terms of writing books, publishing papers, and trying to tell the truth, but I don't, I don't think you can avoid the inevitable cascading storm uh, of debility that's coming. And the other thing, it's gonna become self-limiting though, because the current system can't sustain financially support of an increasing percentage of the population becoming more debilitated. So it'll become Especially kind of a self-correcting phenomena just as the system collapses on itself. And maybe that'll motivate people you know, to make more radical changes. Or to motivate the medical community to advise people on how to make those changes. <laughs> yeah, we know about that. You know, I, because <laughs> I, I looked at the brain so hard, and I know that the the blood <laughs> supply is being pulled back to the pleasure pathways. People, they look like they're not making good decisions, but actually, in an addiction, in intense cravings, the part of the brain that makes decisions, that can solve problems, that can make changes has gone offline. So saying to say, oh, you're making bad shit. No, no, no. The facility to make changes is yeah. not available. Yeah, the machinery is altered. It's the just, thing is, it's, 
scary yeah. sometimes. If you're going to wait for the medical profession, though, to make a revolutionary change, I think you might be very disappointed. I think the changes are more likely to come on an individual basis as people kind of get sick and tired of being sick and tired. If they can get to good information. Some people like I have a, you know, a Facebook group, Food Addiction Education. I'll go out there and I'll say, oh, do you think diabetes is caused by processed foods? And they'll say, oh, no, no, it's caused by insulin resistance. Yeah, but what causes the, no. Or do you think that anxiety is caused by processed foods? Oh, no, no, it's childhood issues. So if they get well, we know that's, information we know and they that's can connect the dots. There's actually pretty good science on all of this. So for people yes. that still have the ability to read. It's not they reaching can, the public. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Well, I mean, I look at what happened with this with the recent epidemic and people had concerns about vaccination and, and different things. And it, it was a concerted effort to keep people from being able to discuss, you know, different sides of this. So, you know, I think that there's a, uh, a concerted effort to keep the status quo. And I imagine that there'll be a lot of pressure and resistance to having anything that changes the status quo because the status quo is working yes. great for some people. It's very profitable. And I am glad you brought up the COVID. I um, you know, kept waiting for the media to mention processed foods as a cause of mortality. We know that people who are who I this is how I like to put it, who have been given processed food addiction by the processed food addiction business model, that they were much more uh, vulnerable to dying. So you would you would have thought under under those dire circumstances with so much at stake that the newspapers and all the media outlets would have been all over processed foods. They're inflammatory. The last thing you want if you're if you're uh, vulnerable to an inflammatory lung disease virus is to be eating inflammatory substances. Not a peep, not a peep. Nobody ever well, said- I think the, thing, the consensus the was foods. that even though obesity was a major risk factor for dying from COVID or any other acute disease for that matter, um, the idea of, blame, uh, of acknowledging that being overweight was a vulnerability is a blaming the victim kind of a situation and sinks the majority of people are overweight or obese. 68% of people are overweight or obese. What are you just going to, what are you going to do? Tell people to change their diet? Oh, I mean, imagine. <laughs> imagine. Yes. Yeah, we can't do I that. Agree. Or exercise or get enough sleep. I mean, what are you? Some kind of radical? Apparently. <laughs> radical comes from radicus, which means root or cause. So I would say you are because you're asking ah, the people to deal with the root or cause of the problem. That. And that's not politically correct right now. All right, this is another great topic. Let's talk about the progress of uh, the progression of recovery. Because what we see is that when we get people off of processed foods, they might still have the fat tissue under their skin, but they start getting better right away. Have you noticed that too? Well, of course. I mean, if you have diabetes or whatever, you don't have to lose all the fat to get your blood sugars normal. Yes. But here's where the big vulnerability comes in. Just like in treating alcoholics, you know, people go through uh, whatever steps they take to quit drinking. And then after a while, a week, a month, a year, they say, you know, I'm better now. I, I used yeah, to be an addict, but now I'm better and I can have a little and they have a little and then they have a little more. And then before long, they wake up under the Golden Gate Bridge naked, wondering how they got there. Yeah. And the problem happens because they're, they're, they fool themselves into thinking, because I'm no longer over drinking, I'm no longer vulnerable to the effects of that drug. 
but they're still vulnerable to it. It's just a question of time. And the same thing with food. People say, well, now I've lost the weight, so I'm better now, or I've been good for a week, so I can yes. have a little bit. And they yes. really can't have a little bit. If, if there are some people, for example, that can drink and not be a drunk, but if you're a drunk, it's not you. Yes. And some people can eat cheese and chocolate and processed foods and not gain a lot of weight. But if you're overweight and you're struggling with health issues, it's not you. Because if you could have controlled it, you would have controlled it. You can't, you don't. So the answer is stop it. Stop so the salt, oil, and sugar. You stop the cause of the obesity. You, you reverse the disease and you get well. Two issues here. Why do people go back to it? And I think it's because of a, a part of the brain called mirror neurons. If you are around people who are eating processed foods, your urge to fit in, your urge to belong, your urge to be part of, your urge to be accepted is going to drag you over to eating those processed foods. So there's a whole field of cueing, triggering, reminders, stimulation, signaling that people, I think, are not aware of. Like, I ought to be able to go to the grocery store. No, no, no. Just like an alcoholic can't go to the bar. There's some of us who just like really can't hang out in a grocery store. And then there are, uh, of course, there are advertisements, but the greatest advertisement for processed food, I think the greatest relapse trigger is people around us eating processed foods. And that's hard. So if you've, if you've lapsed, and look at the people around you, have you found that to also be um, a factor, Dr. Well, Goldman? You know, what I found to be the most powerful tool at helping people recalibrate, it's like rebooting the hard drive in the computer, is fasting. We use medically supervised fasting to take people out of their environment, recalibrate their internal neurochemistry, and then adopt a health-promoting diet. That is the most powerful tool that I've ever seen or come across. Now, the problem is they still have to go back to the real world. They have and so to you go have to, to have them world. establish habits long enough that they have the ability and develop the skills. And sometimes that means, you know, like, for example, when you help people recover from alcohol, you don't say, well, the first thing I want you to do is become a bartender. You exactly. should go and be a bartender because that'll make your recovery much easier. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is we talk to people. If you're dealing with overeating as an issue, you may not want to go back to where there's a bowl of candy on the table in front of you all day long. You want to exactly. get people to develop strategies where they have choices and they can deal with the psychology, psychological as well as the biological basis of their problem. If you have an alcoholic, you don't say, well, go back and make sure your family's having booze laying all around the house. No, you might try to create a safer environment. It doesn't mean everybody else has to do what you're doing, but at least they have to help support you and be respectful of you enough that they, you know, they don't create unnecessary antagonism until you've developed the ability to stabilize. Now, what's interesting is I have patients that were alcoholics that are now successful bartenders because they've been at, they've been stable long enough that they've been able to go into that environment and make a living and not indulge themselves. But it's certainly not what you would recommend. It's risky. Uh, for people it's risky. out of the gate. And yeah. so you want to create a healthy environment for people so that they can live healthy. I have patients that used to be overweight that are working in as bakers and working for restaurants, but it's not the ideal environment. You want to put people in an environment that supports their diet, healthy diet and lifestyle choices. And That's also safer. with friends, some yeah. alcoholics have to learn that sometimes some of their friends are not healthy for them. They might have to cultivate mm -hmm. some new friends. Mm -hmm. So you don't need all your friends to be thin and healthy, but you need your friends to at least be supportive of you trying to do the right thing. Yes. And if they're antagonistic, that's not a good you situation. Terrible foods and say, oh, come on, just this once. So yeah, a little the, bit the people hurt. around us do make a difference. And 
and the environments and the availability. So I'm gonna go back to one other thing, um, which is it's, it's some people can eat this. Now processed foods are in, in my, just my research or my reading of the research, more much more damaging than cigarettes. So somebody might be able to smoke a cigarette and walk on, but should they? So I say, you know, some people might be able to eat these processed foods and not start binging, but should they? Should they be eating the processed foods in the first place? Or should it be recognized that this, this is, these are, you would eat processed foods for the same reason you would smoke a cigarette or snore some cocaine or inject some heroin. It's to get a buzz. And it's nothing about it is okay. Nothing about it is really going to be good for you. Well, yeah, and it depends on what your goals are. If your goals are to be healthy and happy, you do certain behaviors. You adopt a whole plant food diet. You exercise. You sleep enough. If your goal is the most short-term pleasure-seeking, self-indulgent behavior you can, then you snort cocaine and take drugs or eat processed foods. So you just have to decide what your goal is. You know, my goal is to try to live a healthy life and have a good life and a good death. I want to go to sleep one night and not wake up, not spend the last 20 years of my life unable to talk or move, waiting for people to change my diaper. Exactly. All right. So this is something that people, I think, have gotten very confused about. Oh, they're thin. They can eat whatever they want. Let's talk about right. the case that 20% of people who seem to form the fat not under their skin where you can see it but around their organs where it's actually it's doing much more damage yeah, you than have the people that are not skin. overweight they may not be overweight but they're they're over fat in terms of visceral fat there's a type of fat visceral fat which small, is forms around the the organs yeah around the belly and the organs and but this particular type of visceral fat is associated with the production of inflammatory markers that cause disease so you can have a person that looks relatively thin, but they're still over fat. They still have too high a percent body fat, too low a percent lean tissue. And more importantly, they have excess visceral fat. So they still have inflammation and problems. So even mm -hmm. the, the people that are not obviously obese may still have problems with excess fat. But even those people that don't have excess fat, there's other problems besides just fat that is a consequence of eating highly processed foods. There's a whole cascade of effects that affect autophagy, your gut microbiome, the type of organisms that live in your intestinal tract, you got, what, five pounds of organisms living in your gut. And these organisms are living creatures that are eating, drinking, and defecating inside you. And they can be pooing toxic waste like TMA, which becomes trimethylamine oxidase that causes cancer and problems, or they can be pooing fertilizer in you. Well, the difference in those organisms, the thousand strain of organisms that live in a healthy gut is determined by the diet. So not only the type of organisms, but what their waste products are. And so if you want vitamin K and healthy nutrients instead of toxic waste, you have to eat a whole plant food diet. And the more meat, fish, fowl, eggs, dairy products, oil, salt, and sugar you eat, the, it changes the type of bacteria and the waste products from those bacteria. People right, underestimate really the effect of something like sugar uh, because they forget about the fact that there's actually more cells in the human body that are not human than human. And they're all living off of what we what we feed them. So let's, or let's your keep own going. Track. This if is you, uh, you have and I have over the years seen a surprisingly broad range of problems, painful problems, go into remission when you do exactly what you're saying. You get off the processed foods 
and you get around people who are not eating them and not stimulating you to relapse. So mental, emotional, all the physical and a lot of the behavioral issues just fade away. And I, what I like to talk about is cell function. Why would so many different things go away from one set of protocols? It is because those protocols are enhancing cell function. If your cells are working, you don't have disease. So would, do you like that model? Well, I mean, clearly you, you are made up of tissues that are made up of cells. And what's happening on a cellular level um, is going to be critical. And the accumulation of intermediary products and metabolism within the cells is what we call toxicity. And that's one of the things we see in fasting is the body rapidly mobilizing and eliminates these accumulated products, which is probably why we see such dramatic turnaround in conditions like hypertension and diabetes and cardiovascular disease and autoimmune disease, a wide variety of conditions that all respond to the same protocol, because that protocol is allowing the body to eliminate materials faster than they accumulate. And that's what rejuvenescence is. Aging is the opposite side is where you're accumulating changes faster than you can keep up with them. And so what you see, for example, in rats, you can double their lifespan just by systematically underfeeding them or using periodic fasting. In fact, some cases you can even do more than that. And so if you look at it another way, if you want to take a rat and, and make it live half as long, all you have to do is give it ad libitum eating of highly processed foods. Yeah, and so you can argue that you're either doubling the, the rat's life with fasting or you can argue you're cutting it in half with access to ad libitum amounts of, of foods that they're not designed to be able to affect. Which is another food. reason not to let foods just sit around your house and be available to children. Let's talk yeah. about children for a few minutes. Something that just sets my teeth on edge is the industry, the Coke industry, the soda industry mantra, oh, children should have a choice. While they are taking away choice by creating such intense cravings in the pleasure pathways, what do parents should do? What should parents do for their kids? Well, I think it's really simple. Is you you don't give your kids cocaine and you don't say you, they should have choice or beer or, you know, most parents. So you, you create an environment that's safe for the kids, whole plant food, SOS-free diet. They can eat what they want within the context of healthy foods. You set a good example. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's not good for parents who smoke to tell kids, well, don't smoke and expect right. they're not going to smoke. Right. And so if your right. parents are eating highly processed foods, you can bet the kids will be following that modeling. Now, you have limited control. If you have teenagers or whatever, you can't necessarily completely control all behaviors, but you can try to set a good example, model behavior, explain why what you're thinking is, create a good discipline in the house and hope mm -hmm. they make good decisions, but also realize they're independent human beings and maybe they have to learn the hard way, you know, like many of us did. I think that's right, but you can also connect the dots for them. So if they've gone out and they've eaten something ooey gooey and they come home and they're sick, to connect that dot, that cause, that effect. And then you can start to harness their pain aversion functions. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 um it's tricky out there. And you get this incredible pushback sometimes from teachers of all people. How can you deny your children sugar? Your your child told me that there's no sugar in your how, how can you do that? That's so mean. Oh, no. It's well, yes, teachers are vulnerable to the same addiction. And, and They're same, addicted you know, themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and you're going to deny your kids access to nicotine and cocaine. I mean, come on. Uh, imagine. <laughs> yes, imagine. All right. This is just so helpful. The politics and the consequences 
and the children suffering, it's all very, very hard to hear. But you know how you can vote. I think you affect the system most. And my undergraduate degree is in economics and political science by not buying the stuff. Don't buy processed foods. Don't support these industries. And if, you know, we were talking earlier about, is there any end to this? If people stop buying processed foods and then they don't need pharmaceuticals, those two industries lose their power and they don't, then they can't afford to maintain three lobbyists per legislator. And so, so just stop buying. I'm not absolutely certain it's two industries either. I think it may largely be. Yes, the the, it, when you, when you put P-H-A-R-M and F-A-R-M, it's farm farm. <laughs> it's big farm farm. But I don't call it the processed food industry. I call it the tobacco food industry. Just to remind people again and again that this really got out of control in the mid-1980s when Big Tobacco bought Kraft Nabisco and General Foods. But Big Tobacco in 1963 bought Hawaiian Punch. And that's where they really started to focus on uh, assaulting children and giving them addiction to sugar. Sugar, well, I think we, we also is... we also encourage it in our school lunch programs where we mandate they be given cow's milk and we give them highly processed foods and consider ketchup a vegetable. Yeah, and, you know, our so, pizza is a decent lunch. Yeah, we, we've 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 done a pretty good job all the way down the chain of in, in mm -hmm. turning our little kids into addicts. It's just it's just, and when you and here's something else I really thought of overnight. If a child only had sugar addiction, that would be one thing. Their dopamine pathway, this is what happens when you have, uh, when you're over bombarding a pleasure pathway, it collapses. The receptors actually collapse. And if you, if you only have like sugar and you're only your dopamine pathway collapses, it's one thing. You still have serotonin, opioid, cannabinoid to, to have some uh, some some good some perception of good in your life, but these processed foods, they they contain such a different such a wide variety of addictive substances that under that bombardment, serotonin also down it's down regulation, opioid down regulates, cannabinoid down regulates, and so we see this terrible increase. It's not statistically significant yet but we see an increase in childhood suicides, adolescent suicides, adult suicides. And I just, I just have to think that there's a connection between when, when all of those pathways are collapsed, when there, there are no messages of anything is good coming to that child or that person, why would they want to go on living? So it's, it's, it's pervasive, it affects every cell in the body. Depression, anxiety, anger, uncontrolled irritability, panic attacks, rage, violence. You see the origins of these in the brain from processed foods. Would you agree with that, Dr. Goldhammer? I certainly think that getting rid of uh, salt, oil, and sugar and all the consequences is going to do more for helping people try to make recoveries than anything. I think it's, you know, it's complicated. There's physiological, psychological, environmental, and circumstantial factors that probably contribute to all of that. But the things you can do something about is control what you put in your mouth, 
make sure you get the rest and sleep you need, uh, have exercise and, you know, health results from healthful living. You want people to be healthy. They have to live healthy. That's, that's going to be the bottom line all the way across the board. You know, I'm so glad you brought up sleep. So processed foods to me have a profound negative impact on sleep. Do you find that? Well, too? and also eating in general, we recommend people not eat three hours before they go to sleep, delay breakfast until they've had a chance to do some exercise in the morning so that they're fasting between 12 and 16 hours every day. And mm -hmm. that they're eating over an eight, eight to 12 hour window. And in doing that, it can help perhaps with some of the overeating and also improve sleep quality by not having people eating uh, and stimulating themselves right before uh, they, they go to sleep at night. So those, those have well, a pattern. In the middle of the helpful. night too. Yeah. Great. Movement, sleep, clean food. But all this comes from um, hanging around people who are doing the, the same thing. And it's very hard for people to maintain an activity or an element of lifestyle that is quote unquote abnormal. Like the people around you are not doing it. So work on the people around you too. My mother, we when she turned 92 years old had outlived all 50 of her lifelong friends. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, they all died. They, many of them used to make fun of her crazy diet. And she said that when she got to be 92, she realized it was harder and harder to make friends because even people 10 years younger than her were still too old and sick to do the things she liked to do. And so she said, Alan, you need to warn your patients that if they're going to eat this kind of diet, make younger friends. Yes, 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 absolutely. At age 71, I am looking over the next 30 years of my life and uh, glad to be in a community of, of all ages. Yes, it's, it's interesting. Um, I, I, play, uh, I play basketball all my life. And so I'm 65 now. I play basketball with people that are you know, between 16 and 40 usually. But you see now how they're aging out earlier and earlier. Uh, it's really quite fascinating. You see that those difficulties showing up at a, at a much, much younger age. And, yeah, and you really see it in the basketball court because you can- Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, I hear you. Um, one other caveat, because in a few minutes, we're gonna ask Chef AJ if she's got any questions from the audience for us, but let's talk about aging. So I think that it's not aging, it's the progress, progressive, consequences of processed foods and then the medical community says oh well you're aging you have to expect this so accepting illness making illness normal is part of the business model because then you'll keep taking the medications and you won't realize there are any alternatives well but, right now 70 but if you want to reverse people, aging get off the processed foods do what dr 70 percent of people are now treated for at least one chronic condition with pharmaceuticals my only question is what do they need to do to get where it's a higher percentage because obviously if 20 or 30 percent of people are still not dependent on drugs they're losing a lot of money so ah, i think they're going to have to do a, a more effective job of getting those holdouts to adopt their highly processed food diet if they want to be able to take advantage of the fact that, you know, virtually everybody will be. Uh, uh, and you can just hear, you hear these health professionals saying diet has nothing to do with it. And then under the model that Dr. Goldhammer just described, you think, oh, they're trying to, they're just trying to get me into their market. All right, Dr. Goldhammer, this has been amazing. I am so glad to be talking to somebody on the same page. And let's see if 
Hey, I'm back. I've been watching the whole time. It's been a fabulous conversation. I appreciate when like minds get together. And Dr. Ilfan, you're 71 for real? For real. I would never have guessed that. You look 71 and a half. I get younger every year. I'm working this year. I'm looking on uh, all the childhood trauma related to my asthma. My asthma is going away. I'm going to be younger at 72 than I was at 71. And that's just when I'm planning. You know, by the time I'm 100, I'll be about 12. (laughs) Before I became a chef, I worked at retirement homes and the, 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 the people, the older people that ate sugar, they look, they didn't look as good as the people oh that Oh my didn't. gosh, it's terrible. It's destructive. Well, you know, AJ, you introduced me to a gentleman the other day that I was very impressed with. He's a hundred. And I'm telling you, this guy is sharp as a tech. He taught me all kinds of stuff. I've been looking up some of the studies he let me know about. It's, it's very inspiring to see patients that uh, people that have done it done things, make good decisions, and then you get to see the consequences. Instead of becoming debilitated, they're still highly productive, uh, entertaining, engaging individuals, even into yep. advanced age. Yep, yep. Actually, Dr. Ifflin, you're going to have to watch his presentation. He's coming back on June 30th to give this PowerPoint. His name is Dr. John Scharfenberg. He's almost 100, and he gave it yeah, to Dr. Fabulous. Hammer and I in person, and it talks all about rats and opiates, and it, it's, I mean, it's really, it's a it's a talk about food addiction, so you watch that one. And I don't you. know how you do this, but you do come up with the best <laughs> presenters. I it's try. amazing. Just, you just. find them and find them. So five questions have been submitted in advance. So we always do those before the chat. We get to the chat of time. And I'd love for both of you to give your take on each of these. So thank you. The first one is from Rachel for Dr. Ifflin and Dr. Goldhammer. She says, I understand the concepts of the pleasure trap, but I continuously self-sabotage efforts to get to the next level with nutrition. Why is the human mind so good of talking you out of success? What is the mind so afraid of? Is it really the fear of being able to sustain success or is there more to it? I think people underestimate how hard this is. Yes. Uh, go ahead, Dr. Goldhammer. If you'd like uh, I'd, I'd like to hear your comments. Well, what this person, yeah, the, the, the key is in the last statement. So when you are addicted to a substance as a young child, not just one substance, but a whole class there's seven categories of addictive substances in food. You have a very deeply, deeply, deeply seated addiction, deeply seated cravings, which are pulling the blood supply away from your frontal lobe. To, in order to recover from that, you, in my experience in 27 years in this field, you need to be in a protected community. And that's what we've done online at Food Addiction Reset is a protected community where you are protected from queuing. So you're meeting probably six or more of the 11 diagnostic criteria for addiction, which the right level of care would be residential care. And not everybody can go, and and it's not even the right kind of residential care, but you can do residential care at home by cutting out the food queuing, cutting out the processed food availability in an immersion program where you can access kind, wise messaging 24 hours a day. And that's what we have seen. This is not your fault. And if you don't have the right level of care, the right level of treatment, the right level, it's just an immersion level, it's not realistic and you haven't failed. 
you haven't failed. You have your brain, your highly sensitive brain is being bombarded by cues. You have not failed. You just haven't gotten into a deep enough program. In our experience, people, sometimes the information is enough for them to begin making behavioral changes. It helps if they're in a supportive environment, if they have mm -hmm. loving relatives and friends and other things. Not everybody's that fortunate. And for some of those people, what we find is we put them at the True North Health Center in a controlled, contained, medically supervised yes. environment. Yes. And some yeah. of them are there for a short time. Some of them are there for a long time. But, mm -hmm. you know, if you get enough uh, support and you, and, and you get physically healthy, many people are able to make these changes. I'm excited that we just got one year of follow-up data on a study that we did with our colleagues from the Mayo Clinic, where we took the cardiometabolic disease markers with fasting. We normalized blood pressure and weight. What we did is we followed these people at one year. Mm -hmm. And at one year, 77% of the people in that study were able to have maintained their weight loss, drug-free state, normal intensive state. So that means three quarters of the people, even a year later, without any ongoing support programs in place. This is just, they came to the center, they did the fasting, they got educated, and then they went back to their environment. We're able to you know, get enough success to be able to overcome this problem and maintain it. To me, that's very encouraging. So I like the phrase controlled environment. Controlled environment, you're protecting them from cueing, from, from stress. This is the key. Thank you, Dr. Goldhammer. If you're not having success, Look at the factors in your environment, get to a place where you can control the messaging, the availability, the stress, the emotions, the relationships, a controlled, protected environment. You know, AJ, uh, when, I, when we were designing our study, we talked with Dr. Lyle and he said, you know, based on the scientific literature, he predicted that 5% of people would be successful over a year at radical change like that. And I had told him that it would be a third. And it turned out it was much more. 75. Now we were both wrong, but he was more wrong than I was. So that means I win. <laughs> of course, that's so important. The next question, I, I have a feeling I know how you're both going to answer it. And it's a great one. And it's, it's asked to be asked anonymously. Many people will recommend you make your own desserts with healthy ingredients that are technically all whole food plant-based. Please discuss how for addicts, this is not a good idea. For example, I have fallen into the trap of making healthy cookies only to eat the entire batch and continue making them over and over such that it's difficult to stop. Why is that? And what desserts are safe for addicts? Mm -hmm. I tell patients that if they want to know if they should be able to eat something or not, they should go inside themselves and get very quiet and ask themselves, do they really, 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 really want whatever it is? And if the answer is truly yes, they know that they can't have it Yeah, because they get nothing. <laughs> they need a shirt, AJ. We need shirts that say, I get nothing. If it's if you really, 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 the reason is it's banging on those dopamine circuits. So it doesn't mean you can't enjoy eating. Of course, you're going to enjoy eating, but you have to recognize your limitations and the stuff that bangs on your circuits too loud, you need to leave it alone. You don't tell alcoholics to drink beer. You say, stop drinking. Don't tell people that are struggling with uh, food addiction that they should keep eating the chemicals they're addicted to and just pretend like they're going to be able to solve it because they can't, yeah. they don't, and they won't. It's a cue. It's a trigger. It's a message. It's a stimulation. And the research shows that the common cause of cravings, overwhelming cravings that get control of your behavior 
pull the, uh, the blood supply away from the frontal lobe, make you lose control. It starts with a signal or a message or a reminder. They're called cues, it's tr a trigger. And so if you have something that looks like a drug, i.e. a cookie, your brain is gonna be pumping out dopamine, whether or not there's actually sugar or any of the other addictive substances in that object. The, the similarity is enough to set off a, a craving, yeah. So if it quacks like a duck, it's probably- It's a duck. <laughs> But but very doctors, well do you do you believe in individual variation that it's very important for people to know themselves and not to paint everyone with the same brush? Because I know that like I, I can have that cookie made out of uh, like a banana and oats and it doesn't, you know, I can take right. it or leave it. But there may be something else that you wouldn't do that. that you oh, know, you yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. There is, so it's not like I can have everything around. You're right. like peanut butter, chocolate. I mean, one of the things I love about Dr. Iflin is she she gets that nuts. You know, so many plant-based doctors are shoving nuts down our throats, making it sound like if we don't eat nuts every day, we're going to drop dead. And Dr. Iflin understands how for food addicts, nuts can be very addictive for right. us. So if you, have a, if you have a food that you're reactive to, like nuts and you if you can't just eat one without eating then you you have to stop that you eat something else and the idea that you have to have this or that is ridiculous there's a wide variety of foods out there and you can design yeah. diets for the vast majority of people yeah. without any worries about them yeah. excluding a particular class of foods i do tell people if you're in a community that says you have to eat something walk just find the door get out there you know you could be it's not just the addictive responses. You could just be flat out allergic to it. Like you eat that food and you get a stomach ache or you eat that food and your skin breaks out. That's just a flat out allergic reaction. So we recommend um, rotating foods. You know, Monday is, is one protein and Tuesday's a different protein and Wednesday. And you'll just find out over time, Monday you feel great, Tuesday you feel like doo-doo, and there's something that you're eating on Tuesday that's not working for you. So yeah, explore, be your own scientist, be your own experimenter, be your own researcher. But it's what Dr. Goldhammer is saying, get quiet, pay attention to your body, reconnect to your body and learn to read signals from your body that are not the voice of the addiction. It's the addiction, oh, you could have that. But your body is saying, no, no, that hurts. It hurts. Don't eat that. Yay. Nice. I love that you guys are agreement on that. Thank you. So this question is also a really good one from Julie. And uh, wait a minute. It's not from Julie. Sorry about that. Let me get to the, oh, there's just so many today. Okay. Uh, it's Kathy, excuse me, not Julie. Um, she wants to know, can you please discuss whether there is a need to include fat from nuts, seeds, or olive oil in a healthy diet. Well, you need some essential fats, just like you need protein and you need carbohydrate, and you can get the fats from a variety of sources. All whole foods have some fat in them. Some are particularly rich, like nuts, seeds, avocado, th this. And sometimes they're so rich, in fact, we have to limit you know, quantities just in order to be able to control uh, diet and some people have food sensitivities, allergies, or like you you mentioned, uh, AJ, 
just they're, they stimulate impulsivity. So, you know, if there's a problem, just eliminate it and you can make up for it with other things. Worst case scenario, if a person can't use any nuts, seeds, avocado, whatever, and they have particularly higher needs for something like decosoexoxonic acid or whatever, a supplementation could be considered. But for most people, they just need to eat enough whole plant foods and they're going to get the quantity and quality of nutrients they need. The only real exception is vitamin B12. Because vitamin B12 is found uh, from bacteria only in nature, people that don't use animal products uh, in their diet um, will need to supplement B12 just because if you're washing your foods and you're careful about hygiene, you're not going to get the amount of bacterial contamination that you need in order to ensure um, adequate B12. So over enough years, you could become depleted. So we do recommend supplementation of B12 uh, for vegans. And, uh, you know, uh, that's, uh, that's one of the few nutrients that we look at uh, supplemental form. Um, yeah, I, fat addiction is real. Uh, being overly excited about fat. We have a fairly recent study out of University of Boston of comparing a group of rats given free access to fat and free access to sugar and then a control group. And the rats given free access to the fat did show the development of addiction. So if you are, uh, uh, if you just too excited about fat, um, I have heard, then. I, I'm not giving advice about food, but I've heard from people in, in my community, ground flaxseed is does not excite that that mouthfeel that so uh, terrible that, tasting. That's why it's disgusting. <laughs> I would agree with you, Dr. Rifflin. It's just gross. So how could it? But it yeah. is very rich in omega-3 fatty acids. So if you're if that was your concern, that would be a way that maybe somebody could. You might use have to that. mix it in something. Yeah. yeah, like sprinkle it on. You could sprinkle it on a salad, for example. There you go. Nice. Okay, so this question comes up a lot. Can you please talk about how some people are able to bounce back in a week or so after falling off the wagon and others can take years before they get a sustained effort again going in terms of food sobriety? What is the difference between these two groups of people? When I fall off the wagon after being food sober for say a year, I find it very difficult to get back on. It can sometimes be years before I do. What is going on? I think it's the cueing in the environment, the triggering in the environment. People have gotten this idea that food is the answer. And if you're on the right food plan, you'll be okay. I think food is only 20% of the skill set that you need. And Dr. Goldhammer has talked about sleep and, and movement and social life. Um, yeah. So if you're in an environment where everybody's eating processed foods, I think it's going to be difficult, possibly impossible to come back. But if you're in an environment where all your friends are eating clean, that mirror neuron, that urge to fit in, it's going to help you snap back. If you can't snap back, look at your community. You know, we, we, I used to notice we get excellent compliance at the True North Health Center and people would get well and then we'd go home and sometimes they would slip off. And so I realized the answer was just don't let anybody go home. Yeah. But it turned out that was impractical. So now we're having to work on alternative solutions. I know. what It's a dream to have a, a, a town, a village, a small city somewhere where there's no triggering and there's no processed foods and there are no bad actors and everybody's happy and someday. 
Well, but I mean, that's what we're trying to do online and it works. It does help. Thank you. There's one more question that was previously submitted. So guys, you're asking questions in the chat. I think you know by now after three years that if you want a doctor to answer your question, you got to send it in in advance. This is from the pleasure trap from, doesn't say, uh, from Barbara. Dr. Goldhammer, in the pleasure trap, you say that animal protein can make cancer grow. I mentioned this to a friend who said, then why don't oncologists tell their patients to stop eating it? Um, well, you know, who knows why oncologists do what they do. The reality is most of them have never been taught or interested in diet and lifestyle. They're not interested in prevention, and they certainly yeah. um, haven't had any great research out there showing that throwing animal food on top of cancer is like throwing gasoline on a fire. So, you know, there's not the research is largely different from by the pharmaceutical industry. So there's not a lot of research. There's not a lot of experience. They're not taught in medical school. I, it's not surprising to me that oncologists wouldn't talk about diet. In fact, Mukherjee, who wrote a fabulous book that got a Pulitzer Prize called um, Anatomy, or excuse me, uh, The Emperor of All Maladies, which is a great uh, book on the history of cancer and its treatment, has one line in the book on, on nutrition. And he says, we don't know anything about nutrition. That's it. Everything is all about how medical treatment does or, in, as it turns out, doesn't work very well. And as a consequence, it's a great book to read, although it's very sobering because you realize that a lot of what people think about cancer treatment isn't actually supported by the scientific evidence. Yeah. So last question for me, because do you think there's hope for people that suffer from this it's food addiction and the pleasure trap? Is there hope? What have both of you seen in your experience? Totally, totally hope. Uh, there are thousands of studies describing what's going on in the brain that created the disease and the business practices. And I think our community is a great source of hope, the, the hope, the addiction reset community at foodaddictionreset.com. And I think True North, go to a protected environment where they understand food addiction. Don't go to an eating disorders facility where they're going to try to get you to eat bad foods moderately. Go to True North or go to Food Addiction Reset. Yes, there are outfits out there that now get this and get this thoroughly. That, that's where they're asking people from. to make diet and lifestyle changes and eat a health promoting diet in a world designed to make them fat, sick, and miserable mm -hmm. is the most mm -hmm. difficult thing you could ask somebody to do. It's not in my fair. experience, the people that are the most uh, motivated are the most effective. And the mo motivation that drives people the most effectively is pain, debility, and fear of death. Mm -hmm. So we, we tend to see a lot of people that are really up against it. I think the people that get the most benefit, though, are healthy people looking to stay healthy. And so if you could teach particularly younger people before they're debilitated to adopt a whole plant food diet, exercise, and sleep well, I think you'd have fabulously good results. In reality, it's really challenging, though, because all the people that are making all the money's motivation is to give people what they want, not what they need. And an artificially created want. Yep. All right. Well, this was wonderful. Thank you both thank so you very much for your work. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow at 11 a.m. Pacific time for Clint Pattison and the Arthritis Recovery Hour. Thank you, everyone.